We're going to jump in here. Hopefully you've gotten, uh, taken a second and you've gotten your uh, communion uh, ready this morning, your Lord's Supper ready there at home. Um, the Lord's Supper in so many ways, as we celebrated this week, um, if you experienced Passover with us, um, is about Christ and Him crucified. You can go ahead and get that? Okay. Um, <clears throat> thank you. And, uh, and if you've been following along, and I hope you have with Chris Sherrod's devotionals this week um, to prepare us for Easter again, um, we've seen a, a strong connection to the, the cross and to the death of Jesus Christ and his burial, really unpacked the need of the need for and the truth of the death of Jesus Christ. It was really well done. Today, we're going to start, therefore, with communion to celebrate the death, the shedding of the blood, and the brokenness of the body of Jesus Christ, which Jesus talked about in John 6. If you remember us studying that a while back, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. You should have those passages at the beginning of my uh, sermon, that John 6 passage. That bread, this bread, the, the hidden messianic bread, that's his body. Also in John 6, he says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last days. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Here you have Jesus predicting what he's going to connect the Passover to through communion. So Paul's going to take us through the Lord's Supper here, and, uh, and then we'll jump right back into Easter. Yeah, it, it does seem a little bit uh, an oddity for some to celebrate communion on Easter, uh, particularly to celebrate uh, or to remember to look back on his death on a cross on a day that we're supposed to be celebrating his life once again. Um, this is, it, it's, it's why it's in your preschool packet. Uh, if you picked up the packets from the church, there's a coloring page of the cross. Um, it's why we did baptism even this morning, celebrating uh, a reflection of dying and coming back to life, because I think that there is something about uh, the mixture of both of those, the mixture of emotions that comes from both of them. Um, I had a professor who once said, it's the sorrow of the cross uh, in which we find surprising joy at his resurrection. And so it is the consideration of both. It's kind of a mixed batch, uh, again, of emotions. And, and I feel that mixed batch of emotions even today, um, particularly in a different way uh, this Easter than I ever have before. Um, this is the first Easter that I'm actually celebrating without uh, any of my grand grandfathers living. Um, this past week, one of my, my dad's dad, sorry, who loved his family well and loved Jesus well, um, went to be with the Lord. And uh, as I was reading, even in reflection on that, uh, Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 and 14, uh, there's, there's a comfort, there's a difference in my grief that the world doesn't have. Um, and I want to share those words with you, and then we'll pray, and then we'll uh, celebrate communion together. Apostle Paul writes, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it's both. We believe that he died and we believe that he rose again. Even so, 
through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so it is that. It is the reflection of both his death and his rising again uh, that we will celebrate this morning. Let's pray. Father, it is because of your great work that we're even able to respond to you today. So as we remember this morning, we offer no work in and of ourselves. We hold no merit on our own. Rather, it is your faithfulness that provides a way for faith for us. Holy Spirit, draw us again to your truth and forgive us where we try to do this on our own. Amen. And so I invite you, if you've responded to Christ this morning, and, it, and that you uh, may feel free to participate with us. If you haven't responded to, to, in, to Christ with faith this morning, then I would say that uh, instead of taking the elements, that you prayerfully res to reflect on that fact, uh, and perhaps today for the first time uh, come to a saving faith uh, and putting, putting your faith in the saving grace of the Lord. Again, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians this time, um, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There will be a time when we don't need to celebrate this, uh, or at least we won't in the same way, because we will, he will have come, and there won't be any point of remembering it because we'll have been realized. And so we're here today reminded of what he's doing, hopeful and expectant of his coming again. The Apostle Paul again writes, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's close again in prayer. Father, it's amazing that in all the ways that you could bring about salvation, you chose to break yourself. Such suffering demonstrates a testimony of your great love for us. And as we remember this work this morning, remind us of a salvation continuing to work out in our lives until you come. And so come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, wanted to comment on a couple of things you guys would appreciate. One, um, I, Carly, I got outvoted on the shirt today. Next week, I'm going to be wearing a shirt Carly made for me, so I'm, I'll just, uh, it's exciting. That's going to be, it's pretty cool. All the staff now wants one. And then also, Lucia, who you got to experience baptism with this morning, made me a special, I don't know how many kind of zoom-in options we have here, but it's donuts. It's a donut mask, so that's right. The next best thing to eating them breathing through them. So, um, okay, here we go. Oh, wow. That's disturbing. Um, don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> David throwing the laugh track in there, huh? Okay. So, um, wow, that was disturbing. Okay. Now let me just tell you, Easter, teaching on Easter, preaching on Easter is always intimidating to me. Um, I remember, I remember when Pike Wiser and I used to sit at Peking and always the weeks before Easter talking about what are we going to do during Easter because, I mean, what are you going to say that's not been said at Easter time? What are you going to teach that's not been taught a thousand times? What are you going to share that's, that's not, that's not <coughs> just repetitive? That's, that's kind of the old joke about the, you know, the guy who goes to church and says, man, it seems like they're always either preaching about uh, you know, Jesus' birth or his resurrection. 
Um, but that's, that's because he's only a Christmas and Easter type of uh, attender. So that's a, um, that, that type of, of understanding. But much, much more than that, and I referenced this in the podcast this week when we talked about this, but um, it's kind of a big deal. Um, everything about Christianity rests on this one thing. And, and so because of that, it feels like, how do, you, how do you teach that? How do you explain that? How do you express that? Um, this is really extremely simple. This is about an empty tomb. Um, but what that empty tomb means changes everything. Um, Pike and I used to joke about like every single year at Easter, the title of the sermon would be, this changes everything. Um, and, it, and it does. Everything rests on this. And if it's the truth, it changes everything. Everything is different because of this. Um, and so as we dive into this, a good question to be asking yourself as we're about to um, really discuss this is one, <coughs> what hasn't it changed for you? Now, the truth is it's changed everything for you. What have you not realized yet that it's changed for you? What is not being lived out in your life? What are we not experiencing yet that has been changed? And why hasn't it? So this is the question, this question, why hasn't it changed things for some people? Why hasn't it changed some things for all of us? So that's how we're going to go into the sermon. Now, my wife's going to be really pleased because I actually have three, three points. Um, and you could actually create an outline from today's sermon, which is rare for me. Um, it is, it is lamentably, lamentably lacking in alliteration, um, but it, it's, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. That was good, wasn't it? Um, <clears throat> but, but that's okay. So why hasn't it changed? If there's something about us that hasn't changed, what is it? Okay, so one would be this. We don't believe that it actually happened. And this would make total sense. Like if, if you don't believe that the resurrection happened, then why would it change anything um, for your experience? Now, it has changed something for you. But if you, don't, if you don't accept it, believe it, engage with it, rest in it, um, allow it to saturate your life, then yeah, that, that I could see why that might not create some changes for you. The, the truth is that the life and death and, of Jesus Christ is well attested. You, you really have to start the conversation with the fact that Jesus was alive. There was a Jesus of Nazareth. There really was. He really lived and he really died. Anything other than the two of those, you're, you're in such fringe realm, um, you're not going to have much company out there. The man was alive, he lived, and he died. Um, I always, I remember even as a young person, I was enough of a student of military history that the first time I heard this idea that maybe he wasn't really dead, that maybe he just swooned or something like that. And I was like, I mean, have you ever done any research on the Romans? If there's one thing the Romans knew, it was dead. Um, they knew how to take someone from being alive to make them not being alive anymore. They were really, really good at that. They did it with lots of people, whole cultures. And so the idea that the Romans would, oops, we thought we killed him, we just made a mistake, um, is, just, is just ridiculous. So, so what we're left with is a, a man who lived and a man who died. And then the question is, we have this empty grave, and what, is the, what are the proofs of this? What holds us to this? And so I want to take just a minute and see if I can help you embrace being persuaded by the resurrection we don't have an irrational faith. We don't have an unreasonable faith. And so there are reasonable, rational arguments to, uh, to hold on to this. There's no body presented. There is an empty tomb. We know there is no body um, because one, all populations but one 
were completely motivated to present a body. The Romans would have liked to have had a body to present. The Jewish leadership would have liked to have had a body to present. And so the only case you can make is that there would have been, um, maybe his followers might have been motivated to hide the body. So we'll come back to that in a second. There's just not a very good other option for the idea that where did, this, where did the body of Jesus Christ go? Um, again, the idea that it was hidden or mistaken, all that's going to rest on his disciples. So again, we'll come back to that. The fact that, that, as people have pointed out, in that day and age, and we talked about this again on the podcast, that in this day and age, 2,000 years ago, the idea that if you were going to invent this story of him being resurrected, one of the things you would not have done would be have women be the first witnesses to, um, to uncover the resurrected Jesus Christ. Um, so if, if you're going to invent it, if you're going to make it up, because in that day and age, a couple of thousand years ago in this part of the world, the testimony of women was not highly regarded. And yet, Matthew 28, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Remember, we looked at John, and there's a number of ladies who went to see this Mary Magdalene is kind of first upon the scene and the first to recognize that he's, not only that he's gone, but that he has been risen. She's the first to meet him. And, and again, however you feel about that, the idea that someone 2,000 years ago invented the story that Jesus was resurrected, but then had women, also then invented women being the ones to discover the missing body and to meet Jesus at the beginning, doesn't make any sense. Um, you, would never have, you would never have done that because of the attitude of women as witnesses. So if you're going to make it up, you would have had somebody else. Another one that's significant, and this is going to apply to a lot of the disciples, for example, has to do with the skepticism of Thomas. So you have a guy, and so we get to hear about the skepticism of one of Jesus' twelve, a guy named Thomas. Again, we studied that with John. This is a man who refused to believe his 10 friends who said they saw him, who didn't buy it, who didn't believe that it really happened. And so they, he said, I won't believe it until I experience it myself. Now, not only him, but all of the others then did something funny, really strange. So what we get is Jesus, after his resurrection, giving this instruction, um, according to Matthew, go therefore and make disciples, Matthew 28. 19. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, here's what's weird, what's really weird, is that they did this. These original followers scattered all around the world. There were some who stayed in Jerusalem, there were some who scattered out, but all across their lifetimes, they scattered around the known world. There are, there's evidence that there may have been as far as Britain in one direction and India in the other. This is, this is a fascinating concept if you picture these men doing that because they do this and it costs all of them their lives. And I don't just mean it costs them that they die normally horribly torturous deaths. Yes, that is true as well. But they in between struggled and served. They didn't find um, a con they could hit on. It just didn't work out that way for them. It was a hard life for them from the time they came to accept who Jesus Christ was until they died. But here's what's most amazing about that. Not one of them believed that he was who he said he was. Not one of them believed he was going to be resurrected. This is one of my favorite moments is this picture. Why would people who 
abandoned Jesus and his account and his claims immediately upon his death. Some of them left the area. Others went into hiding. I mean, it was, they were all over the place. Why would people who did that, cowards, fearful, um, uh, uneducated people, why would, they, why would they run and hide and why would they do all that kind of stuff and, and, and then later spend their entire lives pouring out everything they had to the point of death, in the most cases, torturous death, um, when they hadn't even believed it in the first place? What would, what would cause them to do that? We've said before, I've said before, one of my favorite moments is this thought of them, Jesus coming out of the tomb and none of the disciples being there. Not one. That's where we get the face palm. This is supposed to be Jesus wept. It's a statue about Jesus wept. But the first time I saw it, I thought that's probably actually more like what Jesus was doing a lot with his disciples. Like he comes out of the tomb and looks around and like, and no one, not a single one of his followers. He just told them within the last week, I'm going to die. The Ro- he predicted all of this. The Jews, the Jewish leadership is going to turn me over to the Romans. The Romans are going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. And I'm going to be resurrected three days later. And he comes out three days later and not a single one of his followers are there. Not one. Those guys, including Thomas, who did not believe this, would not believe it under any circumstances unless it was absolutely shoved in his face. Those men then went around the world and died for this. And I'm supposed to believe they have the body hidden. I'm supposed to believe they know where the body is. They know Jesus isn't really dead. So, so one, they don't show up at the tomb. Well, that would make sense. If they had the body, why would they show up there? They've already had the body. Then if something happens to them, and then they start going around the world and dying left and right. Pretty quickly, by the way, they start dying. So they all knew they could die. If this was supposed to be some big con, they pretty quickly should have realized this isn't going to work out very well. The change in the life of the disciples, among other things, I am a psychologist. People don't make that type of life change. They just don't unless something radical happens, unless something shocking happens. Something had to change them from being cowards to people who went around the world, these, these courageous people who traveled around the world in the name of Jesus Christ, something happened. And the only thing that makes sense with that is that what they claim happened is what happened. So I have a, such a hard time imagining this idea. Then, of course, you have the evidence of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul comes later than everybody else. As far as we know, Paul never got to uh, meet Jesus during the three years of ministry that he was in action um, but um, he engaged with Jesus in a supernatural way. I could see why if he was a standalone, there would be questions about that kind of stuff. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Listen to verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve, And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Now, if I make a claim in current time that this amazing thing happened, if I said I hit a hole in one, and anyone who's ever seen me play golf knows that would be beyond miraculous, but so I made a hole in one. If I say I was the only one there, you have reason to go, right, sure you did. 
But if I say, no, 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 my friends were there. There was like 10 friends there. They were all there too. And someone says like, so, well, maybe they're all in this with you. Okay, there were 500 other people there. It was on television. Like at some point you go, okay, so this is a claim of independent ownership of this belief. It's not just that, so when Paul writes this, Paul's not just throwing something out there and other people too. He's actually saying, no, no, if you don't believe me, go ask one of these other people. I will put some names in here. You can ask them. If you don't believe them, start asking around because 500 other people saw him. This isn't some mass delusion. This isn't just me who got knocked on the side of the road and something happened to my brain that's not working properly. This is Hundreds of people experienced this man after he was dead, back alive. You don't believe me? Go ask. You can't do that. You can't do that unless they're going to back your story. And Paul knows, I've talked with some of them. They're going to back this story. Jesus was dead, he was alive, and then he was dead, and then he was back alive. This is, this is pretty powerful evidence. Again, it's hard to put into words the significance of this, the way that that. Every piece of the evidence, when you follow it, every bit of it, ends up coming to the conclusion that as nuts as it seems to believe that a man who was dead rose from the grave, that becomes the most rational answer of all of your options. None of the others, <coughs> none of the others make any sense. They're essentially impossible. You don't see this stuff happen. Now you go, well, I don't see people resurrected from the grave happen either. Yes, but these people all behaved in such a way as if that's what happened. And for them, it's not an act of belief. They experienced it. They saw him. They touched him. They ate with him. They experienced him. For them, there's no matter of blind faith or just belief. For them, it was history. They were there with him. And then they made that claim. This is what happened. And they were tested in the most extreme ways as to whether they were liars. Crucified crucified upside down, tortured. They faced all types of horrible experiences. And so far as we have, not a single eyewitness recanted. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time planning a surprise birthday party with 10 people without someone giving it away. And now I'm supposed to believe that people were tortured, their families were tortured, they were killed, and none of them gave up the secret? I don't buy it. In my mind, by far, not a close second, by far the most rational answer is Jesus was alive and then the, the Romans killed him, which they were really good at. He gave up his own life. We watched The Passion this week and I love that Mel Gibson includes in there the teaching from, um, though he emphasizes mostly the Matthew account, that he comes back to the John account in John 10 when Jesus says, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. So Jesus laid down his life. This is what happened and then he took it back up again. That's, that's the most reasonable explanation for what happened. That is what the evidence points to. So if you don't believe that's what happened, I would love to encourage you to really wrestle with why that is. Why, given the preponderance of the evidence with what we have historically, why is it so hard to buy that someone who was alive and then was dead rose again? If you believe there's a God who, at all who spoke things into existence, then raising a dead person would not be that impressive. Spinning a star into existence would be, seem much more impressive to me. So I think for us to engage with and wrestle through, why do we have a hard time with that? There may be some reason other than reason, and there may be something else going on there. So one, maybe we don't believe that it happened, or two, maybe we don't get what it means. So 
So even if you believe it, that there was a man who was dead, this Jesus of Nazareth was dead, and then he was, he was risen from the grave, what claims are made because of this? He was killed, he was dead, then he was resurrected. So? The followers of Jesus assigned all kinds of important implications to this. It was very, very important to them. Remember, they hadn't believed that he would be resurrected. None of them apparently believed it. None of them were waiting for him. None of them had bought into this. Most of them were bailing on him. So, um, that the, here's some things that it means. 1 Corinthians, Paul, who again in 1 Corinthians 15 does such a great treatise on what the resurrection means and what it's about and makes an argument here. The first one is, if Jesus was resurrected, then there's such a thing as resurrection. Seems like an obvious one, but it, and, and Paul seems to think it's obvious too. But there were apparently some people who believed Jesus was resurrected, but maybe there was no such thing as the resurrection of others. And Paul is saying, that makes no sense. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So here's, this is really important. The first claim is there is such a thing as a resurrection. This truth alone should give us whatever possible energy, I don't even know how to say this, to face whatever we face on earth, whatever difficulties we face. Um, and we face difficulties. We've had a sermon series on that not long ago. We face difficulties. There's mental illness. There's physical challenges. There's difficulties of anxiety and, and emotions. And, and there's all kinds of challenges of finances. And I mean, there's sometimes there's even a pandemic and everybody has to be stuck in their house for weeks at a time. Like this type of stuff really does happen. The truth is a day will come when God's going to make that right. And he's going to resurrect his people. Whatever's broken about these bodies um, it's always fascinating to me that, that, you know, the older we get, typically the worse these bodies seem to work. Um, and, uh, and so, like when my grandfather died, it was, it was, you know, he had been a World War II hero, and, and he had been this young, fit guy who, who was a squadron leader in World War II, and it was, to see pictures of him was so shocking. I remember how shocking I was as a kid to see a picture of my grandfather in uniform at a, as a 20-year-old man. Um, and so to go, there was a time when he didn't creak around like an old man. What amazing thought to think there's going to come a day when we are resurrected and there's no more of this junk. There's no more arthritis and there's no more Lyme's disease and there's, there's no more um, mental illness. There's no more, whatever the different things is we struggle with, there's no more having to diet and lose weight. There's no more of these things that are so fatiguing and exhausting about these bodies. And there comes a day we get a new body and it's imperishable and it's the way that God wants us to experience for eternity. Um, and we get very few hints as to what it's like. Jesus has a resurrected body and he does some pretty fabulous things. He just kind of shows up in places and sometimes people know who he is and sometimes they don't. And we don't know how much of that's about Jesus and what ours will be like. But <coughs> the idea is that there will be no more groaning and no more pain and no more sickness and no more death and all these things that exhaust us about these bodies. The fact that Jesus was resurrected means he has the option of resurrecting us. And so he is the first fruit of resurrection, that we are the next fruits of resurrection. And so the day will come when we get to experience that. Um, 
In my mind, I understand the temptation for some people to go like, well, then I want to go home now. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. That's our motivation to hang on. We can hang on because there's going to come a day when we are set free. In the meantime, whatever we have to face is what we have to face. Okay, so that's one. There is such a thing as a resurrection, and we can find such great hope in that. Um, I've said before, when my grandfather died, uh, a gentleman at, the, at Pine Cove where I worked wrote me a note that just said, our hope was never in this life. It was always in the resurrection. Um, and that's such truth. Okay, so that's one. There's such a thing as a resurrection. Another one is that Jesus' claims to be the Son of God are declared as is his power. Okay, so here's what that means. So let, let's look at this. In Romans 1, 1 through 4, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descending, descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So here's the thing. If Jesus had come and claimed before Abraham was, I am, which was a, as clear a Hebrew declaration of him being Yahweh as he could possibly have made, that if he, was, if he said, spoke all these things and made all these claims about who he was, I am, I am the son of God, I am the son of man, I, have the, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am, and all these different things, if Jesus had then gone to the grave, been speared by that last Roman to prove he was dead, and they'd put him in a tomb, and you could go visit the tomb and see the skeleton today, he would not have been who he said he was. He claimed he was going to be resurrected from the dead. The prophecies proclaimed he would be resurrected from the dead. He was resurrected from the dead. If he wasn't, we have the wrong guy. This is, the, this is God the Father putting his stamp of approval. He is signing the bottom of this writ. Yes, you want evidence that he is my son? You want proof that he's the one I proclaimed? You want evidence that he is God himself, that he is the I am? Here, I'll show you, raised from the dead. And that proved that he was who he said he was. And it proved that he had done so. He lived that out with the approval of God the Father. Okay, next one. God will judge in righteousness. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, <coughs> but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Again, this is, this, this is the idea that God the Father is giving us the confidence. It's okay that Jesus will be our judge. He got to experience life as a human being. He experienced life as a man. If you're going to be judged, you always want to be judged by somebody who's faced the same stuff you have. Jesus faced sickness, and he faced probably pandemics, and he faced earthquakes, and he faced wars, and he faced trials, and he faced suffering and um, again, there's nothing like watching uh, Mel Gibson's uh, The Passion again to be reminded of the type of suffering that he experienced. He's the one who's going to judge us. If anyone can have mercy on us, if anyone can have grace with us, it'll be someone who knows what it's like to be us. 
And so this, that is the case, and he can do so righteously. He is the right man for the job. God wanted us to know that without any doubt, so he raised him from the dead. And then back to, the, back to another one, which was that there is such a thing as a resurrection, and the application of that, as I already said, is that we will be resurrected. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Again, you recognize that euphemism for dead. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So when the day comes when this meat machine stops working, when this, the biochemical nature of my existence, the biological part of me, slows down and eventually comes to an end and stops, and the body stops functioning, and the medical professionals declare me to be dead, the truth is, I'm only asleep and will be resurrected. That's a powerful picture, that there will come a day when there will be an existence that's so superior to this one. I get why people think that this is just meant to comfort us. I think some people think that religion is just meant to comfort us because it comforts us so much that they want to do a little reverse engineering we're not comforted by our religion for the sake of comfort we're comforted by our beliefs because we believe they're true Um, we don't need religion to feel better we need the truth no matter how it makes us feel in this case because a lot of times the truth doesn't comfort in this case the truth is comforting to us he hasn't forgotten us he will call us to be with him So that where he is, there we may also be. And another one, Jesus is Lord with power over death and has the power to forgive sins and our lives must be radically changed. These are implications of the resurrection. Romans 6 says this, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's found in Romans 6. We are dead to sin. As far as sin knows, we're dead. We, have, we are on the, on the side against sin and sin is so offended by that that sin would say, you are dead to me. We're no longer alive from sin's perspective. We're only alive to God's perspective. So we, our lives actually are totally different. We live these resurrected lives, not fully realized. I'll talk about that in a second. Since we haven't actually died yet, we're still kind of stuck, as the Apostle Paul said, we're in this bodies of flesh that we wrestle with. Um, they're good. They're a great gift. They're wonderful. Um, there's, there's pleasures at God's right hand evermore that our bodies get to experience. And yet, at the same time, there is more to it that we know we need. This is the good news. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 15, back to that one, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There is a resurrection. We can have confidence there. We can be persuaded of the truth of it. We aren't in our sins anymore. So, we don't 
have to believe that there isn't an actual problem. There is a problem. We do need to be resurrected. I think everyone knows that there's a problem, that we need something. People are looking for solutions left and right. Um, Amazingly, shockingly to me, maybe more as a psychologist than a pastor, is that they often look to themselves. I've never understood that. That makes no sense to me. Um, While you talk about an empty well, the the lack of self-awareness that must be present in someone who goes, yeah, I will save me. I've got a serious problem. I'll fix that. Man, it's just like they've never met themselves. And then it, it is proof that we are a treasure. It is proof that we are worth purchasing. Jesus came and lived this life and died and was resurrected, one, for obedience to the Father. But that was the plan. That was the plan by which he was going to purchase us. We're so awesome to him. We're so precious to him. We're such treasure to him that with great joy, he sold everything to get the field so he could get the treasure, and that's us. That's an amazing picture. That's another part of what the application of this is. We don't believe in vain. We believe in a way that works. It, it, it's, a, it, it's, it's not vanity. It's not foolishness. It's power. And we get to live in that resurrection power. So I think, yeah, finally of this list, we have hope. So what does the resurrection imply? Here's one of the things it implies. We have a living hope. Hope in this life only? No. There's, this is the best that it gets? No. That there is something next. There's a next life. There's a hope for forever. And yes, that hope <laughs> is something we live in now. Hope for goodness and joy and wonder forever. Um, this is my intuition. Maybe it's not everyone's intuition, though I'm dubious. Um, I feel like everyone's intuition is that there's something more than just this. Um, there's something more than just the material facts. And we, we understand that at a gut level. At the gut level, we say there's more to it than this. My love for my family isn't just a herd instinct. It's not just a, a genetic preference. That's not all it is. It's actually love for my family. That, that my friendships, there's not, those, that's not just me trying to find people to protect me in case a predator comes. There's more to it than that. There's something about friendship that is supernatural, that's powerful. Um, this, is, this idea that this, all of this stuff is just explained through something that makes it, that minimizes it, that makes it purely just material. There's nothing more than this. Love is, is just a desire to reproduce or, or genetic preference or pick whatever those type of things are. I don't buy it. My, my gut, my instinct, my intuition rebels against that. And I think everyone else's does too. Because we know there's something more to this. And that would have to be overcome. And instead, when I look to Scripture, what I find is evidence of the fact that my intuition, my instinct, is dead on. There is something more than this. There's a life beyond this one. There's meaning beyond just this one. This life, with all of its meaning has echoes into eternity. It transcends life on earth, transcends just life on earth. Life right now transcends just life right now. And, and I think we know that at the gut level. So when we go to Scripture and we see Jesus and these others teaching about the fact that, yeah, you know what? You're right. There's this thing called a resurrection. There's this guy named Jesus Christ who's the first fruits of the resurrection. We have an inheritance all of, us wants to leave, all of us want to leave an inheritance. I totally understand um, the mindset of some of the people who have come forward and said, 
you know, as representing old people, kind of saying like, listen, as a grandparent or whatever, I, I don't want us to destroy everything I've built for my family for the sake of keeping me from getting sick. Um, I'm not saying we need to do policy that way or anything like that. I'm not making a political statement. I'm saying I understand the perspective. I want to leave an inheritance. I want to leave something good for my kids. Something, how cool would it be if that inheritance was imperishable? Nothing could make it go away. The, the collapse of the economy in Wall Street, no effect whatsoever. Wouldn't it be great if it was undefiled? It could never be corroded or, or abused or misused. It was unfading no matter what it faced. Just waiting for us to arrive. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 1. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice, in this passage, Peter is saying he has caused this. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection. We exist in that now. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is pointing out to us that there is this inheritance that comes through this resurrection, and we get to live in the hope of that now. Um, Paul, um, Paul talked about the idea that we've got this um, this hope that is within us, and that hope is this faith not yet fully realized. And this is, we live with this hope in the truth of it, even though we haven't got to fully experience it yet. So maybe, maybe we've not been changed because we don't believe it, it really happened, or maybe we've not been changed because we didn't understand the implication. I hope I've given you enough reason, and there's books upon books upon books written to offer you evidence for the resurrection. I encourage you, if you don't believe, in the, re- believe the resurrection happened, keep studying. <coughs> That's one. Two, it may be because we don't understand the implications of the resurrection. Maybe we don't yet know how to live in the resurrection life. We don't know how to live with the hope of the truth of this resurrection. Maybe, maybe that's why it hasn't changed for us. That's a possibility. The third reason we may not be living in the truth of it, that maybe things haven't been changed, is the, the fact that we just stink at this stuff. We're really pretty awful at this. We don't know how to believe things. We don't know how to stand by them. We're so mercurial. We're up and we're down. Our moods change day to day. We don't know how to apply it. And this is actually part of what I mean when I say it goes unrealized in our lives sometimes. Of course, as frail creatures of dust, we just aren't competent to live out the resurrected life nonstop. We do still have the physical challenges and the mental challenges and the emotional challenges and and we do still have economic challenges and we do still have a pandemic and, and the truth is we're frail and we're not very good at it. And that's, um, that is why we rest in Him as the resurrection. We don't rest in ourselves somehow as meriting this, as accomplishing this, as deserving this. So we don't look to ourselves because the truth is we do have more donuts than we should have on a Sunday morning and we, and we do see and do things that we shouldn't be doing and we do cross boundaries that we shouldn't cross and we, we do that kind of stuff and that's why, um, why we need a resurrection life and why we need that to be growing in us all the time. Remember what we talked about with the Apostle Paul from Romans 7. I'm going to read it again. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. 
who is learning to live the resurrected life, who's learning to live in the hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even in the midst of that, he writes, for I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Do you understand now why Jesus, why God's plan, why the plan of the triune God for the redemption of mankind didn't involve one of us dying for the sins of mankind? We have plenty on our own. We could die in our own sins. God had to create a solution that did not depend on us. So, yeah, should we, if we accept the truth of his resurrection, should that change us? Absolutely. Absolutely. And should be constantly changing. If we understand the implications of what it means to live in the power and hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, should that change us? Yes. I hope it is. I hope that the Holy Spirit is working out that sanctification in us all the time, making us more and more prepared for that, that we are making ourselves more and more open, that we're clearing out more and more closets of old established habit patterns and, and letting God's light come into that and shine on that, that we're, that we're more and more often making no provision for the flesh and taking the things that tempt us out of our lives when it's appropriate. And I hope that all that is true. And at the same time, depending on the fact that it is the work of Jesus Christ that gives us hope, not us. This is vitally important. In the midst of saying, yes, our lives should be changed because of this, I don't want to turn this into a behavioral modification sermon about the resurrection. God forbid. The truth is the power comes in his resurrection. That's where the power comes from. That's where the hope comes from. This isn't in our merit. It's not something we're going to earn. This passage keeps on building. That Romans passage, by the way, that we all find such comfort in. I know I do. That the Apostle Paul struggled with this junk too. But look, listen to how, so that passage keeps on building and it builds and builds and builds into the next chapter until it gets to Romans 8, 10 and it goes like this. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We are learning to live the truth of the justification. These things changed. It changed for us. It changed for everyone. The rocks themselves would have cried out. For all of creation, things changed. We're just getting used to it. In our own lives, we're getting used to more and more the truth that even in my mortal body, where his spirit dwells in me, He is giving me life and life abundantly. And I get to learn to embrace that and engage with that. The resurrection life is now power and hope and a knowledge of the goodness now and of better things to come. Back to 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile and you're still in your sins. See how important the resurrection is to Christians? It's everything. Then those who are who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. They're dead. There is no hope. There's no hope for us to have the resurrection life. There's no hope for the dead to be resurrected. If in Christ we have hope in this life, only we of all people are to be the most pitied 
How pathetic and laughable we are if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who fall fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection from the dead. As Jesus stood in utter victory, raised by the will of his Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and according to his own willingness, his own love for us. And the rules at that moment changed fundamentally for all of us. All of the rules did. They all changed. Let us live in this moment revealed now for our sake in these last times. This is the resurrection moment. We embrace the truth of what God has done here. What God did in his son coming and living life as a man, facing the same hardships we do, all the way to the point of death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. And then he was raised from the dead. Let us today breathe freely, drink deeply, consume fully, accept gratefully and voraciously this gift of now and forever resurrection. I pray that the Spirit is working in us every day to help us live in the truth of the grace of His masterful work. And then because of that, we are free to live abundantly the life of the resurrection and the hope that we have in Him. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for the power of your resurrection. What a great plan. Before the creation of time, you chose that this was the path for the redemption of your creation and of your race uh, of human beings. And Father, though we are like sheep, at best we are prone to wander, and at worst we're just rebels. And God, there's some part of us that resists the authority around us and that, and that is tempted to fight back and, and doesn't want to accept even the good gifts that were offered. We all did it as kids. We pushed back against the rules that kept us safe. We're tempted to push back now in the same ways. There's just something in us, Lord, that wants to push back. Lord, I pray that no matter whether we push back in different ways in regards to human authority, that what we would do with your authority and your truth and your resurrection is that we would rest there. Lord, that we would embrace the truth of the resurrection that sets us free. Thank you for your resurrection. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.